Welcome to another episode of the RAG podcast. And for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. Since early 2019, I've been interviewing the most successful and innovative recruitment owners to learn how they rose to the top of their game. In season seven, I'm going to be having raw, authentic and insightful conversations with agency owners, entrepreneurs, leaders, people across the industry. And I want to be learning about their ambitions, what's happening behind the scenes in their agencies today and their plans to navigate difficult market conditions. I'll be bringing you the latest and greatest recruitment stories every single week on Wednesdays at noon across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast on this week's show. I was joined by Louise Campbell. Louise is the global leader for learning and development at Robert Walters. Everyone in our sector typically knows Robert Walters with over 4,000 employees globally. Um, Louise, headquartered in or based in Ireland, um, was the MD of Robert Walters' Irish business. And as a female leader, she spent 20 years at the helm of the Irish business. She then reinvented herself to become the global lead for L&D across such a large business. In this episode, I loved understanding Louise's mindset. Now, I've worked personally with Robert Walters for three years. We've just signed with him another year, and we're working with over 500 of Robert Walters' consultants on their personal brand. Louise has been instrumental in both bringing us on board, but also working with us to ensure that it's delivered well across the organization. L&D is something that's under under-invested in and not very well managed in recruitment organizations globally. What I think is so special here is that Louise went from being an MD of a business unit of a country to then being the global leader of L&D. So she's not just a trainer. She's an MD. She's a business leader. And we talked about her entrepreneurial journey through Robert Walters, why she loves the organization, why she's been there for over 20 years and everything in between. So if you're looking to to develop a strong L&D function in your business and grow organically and build the best team possible, you need to listen to this episode. Without further ado, Louise, welcome to the RAG podcast. Thank you, Sean. Delighted to be here. And it took me about uh, 18 months. It did. And I'm so sorry. I, I think, as I've just said to you there on, on, on the call a few minutes ago, I am quite an introverted person and the thought of when you first said it to me I was like I couldn't think of anything worse than talking about myself for an hour but here I am obviously you changed my mind we got you <laughs> we got you in the end we got you in the end well, <laughs> Louise um thanks for taking the time out and it is only an Pleasure. hour and we'll have we'll have some fun with it what Absolutely. I want to do to begin with is look I've given you a brief introduction I can never do it justice for people who don't know you tell us yeah. what your role is today and just tell us a little bit of the kind of bird's eye view of Rob Walters that you know in terms of the locations and headcount that kind of stuff because not many people yeah, actually yeah. know the reality. Absolutely okay so Louise Campbell everyone head global head of L&D for Robert Walters Um, I've been in the business since 2003 actually in about two weeks time I've been in the business for 20 years and if wow. anyone had ever said to me that I was going to be in the one place for 20 years, I would have, would have laughed at them. Um, but obviously things have changed enormously since I started within the business. I mean, when I joined Robert Walters, it was um, as I, I joined to set up the Dublin business. There was no office in Ireland at the time. And um, Rob and Giles Daubney at the time spoke to me about setting up the business in Ireland. And I think at the time, I could be wrong, but back in 2003, there was 13 offices, maybe right. 14 offices with Robert Walters. And I think we were about a thousand staff. 
800 right. to 1,000 staff. Um, and I remember when I joined people in, in Dublin saying to me, oh, you've joined a UK business, um, which I found very strange because at the time I had always thought Robert Waters was quite a, a global business. Um, and now, obviously, you look at Robert Waters across the globe, over 4,000 staff, um, and I think we're in 32 different locations across the world. Um, we're very much an international company. I mean, I think, Amazing. and I, I don't have the exact stats, but something like over 70, 75% of our revenue is derived from outside of the UK. So right. truly global business now. Lots, of, lots have changed. Yeah, exciting and, times. And your role, your role would have evolved hmm. so much in that 20 years, and we'll get into that shortly. Yeah. Before that, how did you get into recruitment? What's the story there? I, oh, we're going back a while now, uh, Sean, you're, you're making me think. I left Trinity College with a business degree in 1996. Um, and pretty much like every other Irish person I know, I, um, I knew at the time, got on a plane and went to Australia. Um, right. It was it was the yeah. done thing. Everybody just said, yeah. right, after after uni, go to Australia, spend a year, uh, live in Bondi, which, of course, I did tick that box. Yeah. Um, I passed through Bali on the way and I had far too good a time and arrived in Sydney with pretty much no money. So I said to myself, I've got to get a job really, really quickly. And somebody had said to me, go and register with a recruitment agency. They'll help you find a job. And believe it or not, at the time, that was a pretty new concept because I don't think recruitment in Dublin at the time. Um, I'm, look, they would have had agencies. I probably wasn't aware of them. Um, mm. So I walked into Morgan and Banks in Sydney um, as a, you know, a, an Irish person who had literally just arrived with no money saying, can you help me find work? Um, they did. They helped me find work within their own business. And I sat there and I temped for a couple of weeks and I got on really well with everyone. And I thought to myself, this is a, a really cool business. I, I love it. And um, yeah, after a couple of months, they said, you know, we, we, we think you're pretty good. Uh, we think you can do more than just the, the, the filing and the admin and the answering phones that we've given you. Do you want to join us as a recruiter? And literally, it took me about two seconds to go, I would love to. Uh, they sponsored me and I stayed there for two years working as a temp finance recruiter, building out a kind of a media telcos dot-com uh, desk at the time, um, which basically, Sean, involved getting every Irish person I knew in Sydney <laughs> and saying to them, do you want a temp job? I remember at some stage, at one stage, I was living in Bondi in a house of about 10 of us, and I think nine people in the house were working through me as temps. Wow. Um, yeah, wow. and I was the person getting them up every morning, going, get to work, make me money. <laughs> um so yeah, I, I was like their their pimp for a while out there, and I just that, loved it. it that is just... so similar to my story. That is so similar. Is so I, I did well. I went to uni and did became a teacher, but I only did a I did a I did about two and a half to three years of teaching, and then we were always going to go traveling. Me and my business partner, and we were going yeah. to Australia, right? So we, but we did we did six what do we do six months in Asia before Australia. So we got we got there, Brilliant. and it was yeah we're we're in, we're deep in the overdraft now. Yeah. And within we landed in, we landed in Melbourne because it was the cheapest flight to get there and then within within a week my mate had got a recruitment job because he was a sales mm. guy in England I was a teacher so I I tried to get in the same way and through a rector rec who rejected yeah. me and then I, I I just applied to Randstad directly and I got into that and I didn't know Brilliant. I didn't know what the hell I was doing but it, it was full of English and Irish people that was pretty yeah. much it and it's funny because my obviously my mum's Irish from Galway and all my family's half Irish and, and in Manchester where I grew up it's an Irish community like of the 20 mates of mine we were I think 18 of us were Irish descent and 
I always was proud of that. But when I got to Australia, yeah. the Irish hated me. They kept calling me a plastic paddy. Everyone called me a plastic paddy. Um, Never. I can't um, imagine doing that. I know. I know. And I was like, I don't think I like you. I don't think I like you guys. Anymore. But there was there was genuine there was genuine like um, no Irish do- like signs in doors in Australia. Like they didn't. Yeah. They, the trouble. The trouble that the the travellers had, had created was like was it like that back then was it like yeah it, it was or... I mean there was there was there was parts of Bondi particularly around Bondi Junction and there were a few Irish bars and they I mean they were wild it was it was carnage out there um, but you know I had my my proper professional job and I tried to you know balance the 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 fun aspect while while keep down a corporate job at the same time um, oh, but, but it is a great yeah, time they were great life. days brilliant time yeah great well, days I guess. What do you think was in you or what skills did you have that made you take to that job quite, quite quickly? I think, um, and I never would have said this maybe throughout school and my academics, I'm very competitive. Um, Mm. I used to get a real rush of blood when I would get a job on because I would be sitting there going, I can fill this. I know I can. And there is no way that I'm going to let somebody else in another agency (laughs) do this better than me. Um, and I think that is something that all recruiters have to have. You have to have mm. that sense of urgency. And maybe it's ego. I don't know what it is, but it's just like I, I can do this and I'm not going to let somebody else beat me. That's probably the first one. The second one is like I'm just a bit of a grafter. Um, and I'm not mm. saying that with pride as if it's a, it's a great thing. It's just something that's inbuilt in me. I think I probably get it from my from my parents. I, I work hard. I don't give up. And I know like I've got whatever 20 almost 30 years now in recruitment and I see people come into this industry and when it gets hard they get really demotivated they take things really personally um you know whether that be a downturn or a client saying no or a candidate you know maybe messing them around and they they get really upset by it and really hurt I don't I probably am able to brush things off quite easily not saying that I'm, I'm not I'm that tough. I'm probably I wouldn't describe myself as being very tough either. But I can get get past things very quickly and kind of look at the the bigger picture quite objectively. Um, and then I'm just I think again curious and, and nosy. I love meeting people. I love asking them what do they do, where would they be good, who would they be good with. Like I'm a bit of a I think a, a natural matchmaker in that sense. Yeah. You know I've got a real interest in finding out where people's skills are, what they're interested in and being able to match them up somewhere. Because I'm such a, a firm believer if there's a, a job out there for everyone. You know, it's like yeah. the, there's and there's people out there, you know. That, the fact that you know, you're, the fact that you're, um, you know, you're living in a house with nine people and you've, or 10 people and you've placed nine of them. I mean, that just yeah. proves it. I, I'm, I'd say even now, I've not worked in recruitment for seven years or six, six, seven years since I started Hoxo. It's, I work with recruiters mm. all day, but I'm not, I'm not technically in recruitment, but I still think I've placed about 10 people in that time through friends that I'm not, I'm not, not charging any money for it, but yeah. there'll be someone who I go, you need to know him. And it's just a natural thing. I think it's a connected, yeah. it's a natural connect. I've probably put a few people's relationships together in the past as well. Some have worked, some haven't, but the, yeah, <laughs> the, I have the, too the, actually. And I think yeah, it, you kind of put two people in a room before they've been in a room and it's like a natural, but you can't really buy that. I don't think that's something you can. No. And I don't think you, you, you can teach that to a certain degree, but I think you've got to have that interest. And, you know, if, if I ever hear people kind of when they're in a recruitment role and when they start talking about the fact that they find interviews tiresome or, you know, they're, they're not getting that joy out of it. Like I feel as if this is a recruitment is the, coolest job where you know whether you're talking to a client or a candidate like my blood literally used to race quicker 
when I was like, I know exactly where to send you or I know exactly the person for that. And I'd be like obsessed on a mission until I was able to, you know, make sure that I could see that all the way through. Yeah, Loved I love it. that. And I, But that, again, is goes into what I, I've been saying this a lot recently, like to be a genuine um, asset to an organization, I think your mm. network is really important. You can't just go to a company and say, I'll, I will conduct a process on your behalf. Yeah, all you're doing there really is you're, you're selling time, aren't you? You're selling your yeah. time. Whereas if you can say, if you if you already have a network that they don't have and you can access yeah. that quicker and deeper. And well, I used to fill jobs on the way back to the office after a meeting. Like I, in my head, I'd be like, I know the five people. I'll ring exactly. them on mobile. I'll get, like that's the kind of skill set that when you can turn that around so quickly for someone, they're just, they're, they're, they're well impressed. And, and the they candidates are. are as well. Yeah. yeah, it's. I can totally empathise. So, how did your career evolve? So, you're in Australia. Okay, so I was in Australia. Temp recruiter took to it like a, a duck to water. Loved it. After I think about two years, I suddenly realised that most of my friends were very transient, as you know yourself when you're in Australia, and they all kept leaving. And I was sitting there in my, you know, what was getting to be quite a big corporate job at the time, just going, e, I don't know if this is the right place for me to be. I'm on the other side of the world. My whole family are in Ireland." Um, so I decided I was going to come home and I said, right, I'll see if I can get a recruitment role in Ireland. I came home, moved back in with mum and dad. Um, three days later, phoned Sydney and said, I've, I've made a mistake. What am I doing here? And they said, we knew you'd feel like this. Uh, they said, why don't you talk to our office in London? So I thought to myself, you know what? Any of my friends in university who didn't go to Sydney went to London. So yeah. Sounds like a good plan. You're probably getting the, the gist that I, I wasn't the most ambitious person at the time when it came to my career. I was all about, you know, age 23, 24. Let's go to Sydney. Yeah, let's but, go to London. What, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? 18, 18 months into my role in Melbourne, I moved to London. Yeah. Same thing. I, was like, I, don't want to be, I didn't <laughs> want to go back to Manchester because I knew it. And that was me going home. And, and probably staying there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, but London, I mean, my problem yeah. with Australia was and Melbourne was that I was 24, 25. I'm single, and I felt like Melbourne was perfect for people maybe you know mid 30s with with young children and yeah. wanted an amazing calm life and beautiful eggs and coffee. Yeah. And I was like, I wasn't into that. I wasn't interested. No. Whereas I wanted the wildlife that I had in England, but I didn't want to have it in Manchester. I wanted to have it in in London. So yeah. yeah. I, I did the exact same thing. I mean, so where did you, who did you join? Sure, we probably bumped into each other back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> we had a chat in some pub in London somewhere. Um, so I, I moved to London literally the following week um, with Morgan and Banks. And again, temp finance, uh, which they didn't have at the time. So I built out their temp finance desk. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Loved London, loved everything about it. Then Morgan and Banks got taken over by TMP. Uh, TMP yeah. got taken over by Hudson or rebranded re as Hudson. So we moved to Chancery Lane where there was, I think, about 800 of us in Chancery Lane uh, working wow. under the TMP umbrella with many different kind of services. How big was Morgan services. and Banks? Morgan and Banks in Australia was huge. In the UK, it was probably 50 people at the time, back in 1999. Um, so you've, you've quickly gone from 50 to 800. That's quite a big yeah. shift. Yeah, huge. And again, you know, look, I was 25, 26, 27, took it all in my stride, loved every minute of it. Um, and then, you know, became a manager over in London, um, where I was a temp finance manager. And I think I was managing about 16 people at the time, looking after and, you know, London, like it's it's so um, 
I suppose, sophisticated in terms of its recruitment offering. At the time, I was managing tech, telcos, what we called the dot-com desk at the time, um, and media. Um, so I think there was about 16 of us just placing finance people, qualified finance people into those industries. And again, loved it, loved every minute of it. Um, then towards the end, I think I was about 29 at the time, I started getting a bit of a hankering for moving home. I was going, yeah. the London lifestyle, I loved it, but I was saying to myself, do I want to do this for the, for the rest of my life? Like, do I want to be in my 30s and 40s in London um, leading this lifestyle? And I thought to myself, no, nah, I'm going to I'm going to move home, I'm going to move home to Dublin. And I woke up one morning in London and I said to myself, if I feel like this in a month, I'm going to go. But I'm going to give it about four weeks. And in the space of that month, I got a call from Robert Walters. Um, and I'm like, I'm such a, a true believer in fate. I got a call saying, you're someone who's been recommended to us. Um, we are looking at really growing out our business in Dublin. Would you be interested in having a word? Um, Matt. Rob at the time met Giles and Alan, our CFO, sat with them, and I think about an hour later, just said, "Yeah, how when, are you when can I start?" How did how did that referral happen? There was a referral um, from a guy who was working in Robert Walters, who used to work in Hudson, and he had moved to Robert Walters, and I think he kind of randomly went. They obviously said internally, "We're looking for someone, you know, to run the Irish business," and he was like, "I know somebody from Ireland. Give her a call." It was probably as simple as that. Yeah. And what were the triggers then in your life at that age? Because it was very similar for me again. Um, and I left I left London at 34 in the pandemic. Yeah. And I mean, I'd, I'd had a breakup with my ex and there was a lot of reasons. But really, I'd got even, you know, even before that, I was starting to get to a point where I wasn't really, you know, wanting the London lifestyle as much. I was, you know, starting to work from home and you wanted to have yeah. a family and is what, what was it like for you then what was uh, listen it was probably even... exactly the same Sean I was I was 29 a bit, a bit younger but I thought to myself the, the the lifestyle in London for me I couldn't see it as being something long term I would think to myself you know if yeah. I want to have a if I want to meet somebody if I want to have a family settle down all the all those things I said I don't think I want to do it in London it's yeah. it's a brilliant fun place but this this isn't my home and I know it wasn't. Now, saying that, I met my husband the week before I left London. So the timing, my timing was really bad in that respect. I was, I was, you know, mentally out the door, had sold. I bought a house with, with two of my friends in London. And one of the guys who I worked with turned around and said, why don't you come out for a few drinks tonight? My cousin's going to be there. You might really like him. And I remember sitting there going, Paul, don't, you know, you've, you've seen my up and down disastrous love life in London for the past five years. <laughs> don't try and set me up with somebody now. I'm going home next Monday. Um, and sure enough, went out, met his cousin, who is now my my husband of the last wow. 15, 16 years. Is he Irish or English? Or? He is Scottish, uh, was living Scottish. in Twickenham. Yeah, living in Twickenham. And uh, we did the, the lovely Ryanair back and forth for about 18 months until I remember wow. we were sitting down one Saturday afternoon. And we were like, this isn't, you know, this isn't too much fun. He said, would you move back to London? And I said, I'd rather not. Would you move to Dublin? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Um, wow. So he he, he moved yeah. over. Yeah, and Dublin, but, again, is it's a, hmm. it's a great city. There's a lot going on, but you still do have that. It's a slower pace. You can. It's a slower pace. Feeling... I mean, 
yeah you can you can be in the city center or you can be in the mountains or you can be at the beach albeit pretty cold um you know within kind of 20 minutes it's uh, and it's where where i grew up where my my family are so it was a a real natural move for me and dublin at the time i don't know whether you remember 2003 celtic tiger and everything was starting to grow we were getting all these u.s investments coming in Mm. tech investment financial services you know we were the back office center of of all kind of funds businesses uh globally so it was an amazing time to move back in terms of of recruitment and setting up a business are you spending hours on linkedin and cold outreach and want more business coming to you over your competition well if you're the founder or leader of a recruitment agency here's what we can do for you at Hoxo, we'll give you the training, support and resources to take you from what I call an offline recruiter, reliant on posting jobs and sending in mails to open up new customers, ultimately looking like every other recruiter on LinkedIn, to being an online recruiter, being seen by over 25,000 relevant people, driving a 200% minimum increase in engagement on your profile and seeing daily lead lists from LinkedIn that you can follow up with in six weeks time. And if you don't perform, you don't pay. Now. Why can we make such a bold, results-driven promise like this? Well, it's simple. There's two reasons. Firstly, whilst I've been building the RAG podcast, we've actually done what we say we'll do for our clients. In less than two years, we actually built a business generating from zero to over one million views per month on LinkedIn, leading to multi-million pound revenues with a sales team of me plus two people without making a single outbound cold call. Second is our track record. Not only have we done it ourselves, but we've helped over 350 agencies and over 4,000 consultants do it as well, all in the last three years. Now, if that sounds of interest to you, click the link associated to this episode and we can book a call and tell you how we can help. Right, let's get back to the show. So so ultimately, you're, you know, you're touching 30, you're, you're going back to Ireland and Robert Walters contact you. So you're yeah. going out there. Is it just you? Are you like, you're, you're like basically an entrepreneur within a business. You're going yeah, out there to open well, up an office. Going up to open up an office. Now, there were two or three people on the ground, uh, but there was no real there was no real structure um, to, to the business. So it was essentially a startup. And mm. at the time, I remember thinking to myself, I don't know if I'm good enough for a startup. Like, I've always worked in a corporate and, you know, not that I ever had anything handed to me, but there was a structure there. And I remember at the time thinking, this is a real risk. It could either go really well or it could fall flat in its face. Maybe I'm not the type of person who's going to enjoy the whole, you know, starting up a business. But it really, it really did appeal to me and terrify me at the same time. Um, and then when I went, you know, when I, I, I kind of got myself into the role and I realized, oh, I'm loving this. I am loving this. Like to have that, I think, autonomy which was a huge thing for me um, because, you know, where I, where I was, 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 was quite structured over in Chancery Lane with, with Hudson. Great, great business at the time, great fun. Um, but there's a certain amount of things you can do. And then you get offered an opportunity to go and pretty much set up your own business under the umbrella of it being a Robert Walters office. Um, yeah. Terrifying, but, but really exciting at the same time. And, you know, I think the first year, when I moved home was, I, I mean, I was working so hard, um, but I got, I don't know, did I, did I get lucky? I, I hired some amazing people. And I mean, I'm sure everybody says that to you, the, the secret of, of getting a successful business is hiring the, you know, the people that are, yeah. are going to be around you. Um, there were some amazing recruiters in the Irish market at the time. 
the there was no um startup really recruitment businesses coming through like there was if you look at robert waters we didn't have a michael page in ireland um so the majority of the recruitment businesses in ireland at the time were irish owned owner managed small recruitment businesses now some of them were doing incredibly well but there was a quite a lure and, a, and an appeal to joining what you know was an international business which was only going to grow and grow and grow um you know so i was able to to bring people on board they were able to go over to london um you know and meet a, a really big office over there we were putting people on planes sending them off to australia to interview accountants doing road shows bringing them back to dublin and we wow. were doing some really entrepreneurial things in the market that were new and fresh and exciting and people weren't doing um and the so were you office grew. yourself were you on the tools for I, did i recruit myself i didn't actually and i had every intention of doing so and i wanted to um but probably like so many people who grow a business and grow it quickly you get into that whole um spiral of hiring people training people i would go out and talk to clients but i didn't fill jobs myself no so what do you think needs to be that, that's a really good place to, to focus right so it's mm. you it's effectively a startup business yeah you've got the back end. yeah you're not you're not worried about the money necessarily and if they're telling you you can hire 20 people or five you can do it yeah but you still need to get these people up and performing like anywhere and and you didn't have a yeah. network in the irish market so what do you think needs to be there for someone to enter a market or just start the business and not and not be the person who's the complete rainmaker which is the common problem most recruitment firms yeah. start the owner is the is the main salesperson, and as a result, they never grow because they it's all about them and it's all about them. Know, no, no one's as good as them. So how 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 do you build a business where it's actually not about you? Yeah, I don't even know uh, it's a really good question. I think again, Sean, I was really the first year. I said to myself, if I do one thing right, the only thing I want to do right is hire the next level of people underneath me. And what I typically did, and you know, some of those people are, I'm still working with today, uh, and pretty much all of those people are still close friends of mine now. They were people who were, and again, you know, they were working maybe in small Irish-owned um, businesses where the potential for growth was quite limited. Uh, and I was quite strategic in that I didn't go and, you know, try and headhunt the directors of those businesses. I would headhunt the level below them who were probably, I felt, being capped in their career because they were working in a small Irish, you know, owner-managed business. They didn't have a career trajectory like the one that we could offer them. So I went out and got kind of people who maybe were at manager, senior manager level who were being held back. And I specifically went for those people so I could say to them, come join this business. You'll have autonomy. You'll grow legal. You'll grow compliance. You'll grow finance. And that's what they wanted. You know, they were they were sitting in their own businesses going, I'm I'm not going to get to the next step because that guy's going to be sitting in that job for the next 10 years. Um, yeah. And I was able to, to do that. And, you know, again, I got got people on board who who that's what they wanted to do that was their passion so you're right I couldn't kind of fear in myself at the time the people who I brought on board we we bonded with they were kind of the magical days of, of recruitment for me we bonded very quickly over a, a shared vision of where we wanted the business to go and you know we were profitable in our first year and um, by year three we were kind of we were blowing all of our targets out of the water and we grew to about 50 
56, um, 55, 56 people from 2003 to end of 2003 to 2007. Um, wow. Which rapid. was, yeah, it was, it was rapid. And when you consider the size of the Dublin market, it was big. Uh, then were obviously you, 2007. Going, were you going, just before we get into that, were you mm, going down yeah. the experience route for leadership and then did you come and create like a graduate academy yeah, type program that, that's exactly what we did time, you're not yeah you're not doing yeah that. that's exactly what we did we had um experience managers um and then under under the, those managers who then kind of quickly kind of moved up to a, a director level position we hired grads um and we hired people who were coming out of profession as well so ex-accountants ex-lawyers um, and it worked really well because any of the knowledge gaps that we had, we kind of plugged and we had such momentum going on that creating a kind of a graduate program or an intake, should I say, even if it was only three, four five grads, became relatively easy for us to do because then you'd have an experienced crew in there and we could almost share the, the training, share the development opportunities um amongst us rather than i think what can be really difficult for managers in recruitment is taking on new people and being the sole person responsible for training yeah. them up it's really yeah. tough so did you, you know, did you have the the, the kind of central l d function at the time from uh, london or whatever or were you trying no, to No, we, we we didn't we did it ourselves we did it right. ourselves it was very much kind of part of a you know a, not only a manager a consultant's role it's like th that whole philosophy I always was really strong and was was kind of paying it forward anything that you learn when you come into a business like this because I always think you know you join Robert Walters and even in Dublin and it was a startup we were still getting a huge amount of business from our colleagues in London who were saying you know recruiting for the big banks uh, who were suddenly delighted we had a business in Dublin so we were getting past huge business lots of candidates and it was always my mentality of you come into this business, you get handed so many opportunities. It's your responsibility and almost like your, your moral duty to pay that forward and to train in the next generation of people who are coming in under you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that, that worked really well. So what, what you got to was 50 ish people. What, yeah. how would you describe your job at that time? Well, I was, I mean, my job title was managing director Ireland um, so I was out meeting clients. I was then looking after maybe four or five managers or directors. I think we had about two directors in the business at the time. It, the, it, it was always about growth. Um, you know, for me, what used to keep me awake was, yes, we were a really successful business, but we didn't have a tech division at the time. We were really successful, but why don't we have a, an office in Cork? Um, so, you know, I think the, the Robert Walters strategy has always been geographic expansion um, and disciplined diversification. So, you know, build out your office. And at the time we were it was a, a no brainer for us to build it out through finance, banking, legal, because they were our, that was our core business in London at the time. And, you know, the, the, the kickback that we were getting from our London colleagues was huge. Um, tech was one of those things that, you know, it, it eluded me uh, for, for, for a long time. And, I, you know, it was one of those things I didn't get right. But my job was certainly to, to build out the, the business to be, to be bigger than it was. And then you came into the 2008, 2007, 2008 uh, Lehman yeah. Brothers crash. 
Yeah. How did that affect you guys personally? Uh, massively. I mean, we went, I remember, Sean, that our revenue was halved from, um, I think, November to January that year. It halved. Our, our monthly revenue just literally, it stopped. It, it Everything dried up. Because in Ireland at the time, we not only had the global financial crisis, we had the property crash as well. So mm. everything was falling in. Um, on top of us we had to make people redundant we cut back but I'll never forget actually Rob himself flew over to Dublin because at the time so many of my colleagues in other recruitment businesses were getting a phone call saying you know take your coat off the back of your chair leave your keys on the desk and, and out you go and it was a, it was a terrifying time to work in recruitment in Ireland um, and I remember getting a call from Rob who said, I'm going to come over to you next Tuesday. And I thought to myself, oh, here we go. You know, prepare yourselves. And he came in and he took us all out to a, a lovely pub in the city centre called Mulligan's, which does great Guinness, uh, lined the Guinness up and said to everyone, right, we're here. We're not letting anybody else go. We're here to support you. These are going to be really tough times. I need you to work hard. But, you, you know, we, we will look after you. And I remember at the time, just that feeling of absolute relief um, and just kind of pride as well of working for a business where your CEO flies over and says, guys, don't worry about it. We have we have made staff cuts. Uh, everybody around this table is somebody who we want to keep, who we value, who we think is important to the business, who we know that when the market picks up, you're going to be fine. So just all we ask is put your heads down, keep working but we're here to support you. Um, so that was a, an interesting time. It was really tough in the Irish market, but we got through it. And yeah. certainly the staff who stayed, many of them are still with the business now, Sean. You know, I think we all remember those times and that that really kind of inspires loyalty from people. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And then, yeah. so in terms of your role then over the next, mm. you know, 10 years or so because you I think when we started talking weren't you the MD of multiple regions before you went no I was I was MD of Ireland up until 2000 and god what's it now 2020 I think I uh, was always Ireland for me but I had become very involved over since about 2018 with uh training so I the, the person that I reported into was our kind of European uh, CEO. And I had put up my hand back in kind of 2018, 19. And I said, I don't understand why we as a group don't try and align our training a little bit more because there's it's so dependent on the manager that these people are working for. Some people yeah. are, are working for a manager who thinks learning and development is really important. They train really well. These staff are getting up and running quickly. Their ramp up to profitability is, you know, eight weeks. Why is it taking Joe Bloggs over there six months to make a fee? Yeah. And I said, you know, as a, as a global business now, we've got such an opportunity to improve this. And in typical, I think, Robert Walters style, he was just like, well, do something about it then. And I thought to myself, oh, OK, well, now that I've said it, I suppose it's, it's out there. I better do something. So I, I started with developing a training program along with a, a number of other people it wasn't just me but you know for new starters and really looking at a new starter program what can we do to get new starters making money and profitable as quickly as possible then i moved into you know managers 
why is there such discrepancy? We're a big company. And I was looking at the likes of a, a PwC or, you know, an Anderson's going, you know, if you're an accountant in Dublin, London, Sydney, you have the same practices, you know, in these businesses. And I didn't want to kind of create a cookie cutter L&D handbook. That was the last thing I wanted to do. No interest in that. But I did think there was a big opportunity to make sure that kind of if there was some somebody in our Paris office who was really good at interim management, they needed to share the secrets of their success with other people. And why is our Dutch business got such huge temp numbers? Um, you know, and can our London recruiters tell us anything? So it was about developing a program which was based on two things. Number one was upskilling people. And number two was increasing global collaboration because it's pretty easy, you know, and I think this is probably one of the, the stereotypes of working in a global company. You go in, you put your head down, you don't know any of your colleagues across the globe. You don't really know what's happening in London. You don't care. Um, no. I don't know who runs the Paris office, you know, and I just thought we weren't like that. We we already had a huge amount of collaboration between our offices but I just thought there was a real opportunity to, to make that bigger and stronger. So I started working on kind of training across Europe so alongside my day job. MD. Yeah, wow. it was. And you know what? I think, look, if I when I look back now, I think being in any job for the length of time that I was in that MD role for, which was, you know, 18 years, I probably should have looked at doing other things um, and put my hand up. You get comfortable in a role. And literally, yep. I was like, okay, global financial crisis, property crash, we, we, we rebuilt. So we rebuilt. And then I was like, COVID, okay, I know exactly what to do. Let's re, you know, and, and you get to a point where you're going, okay, I can, I can do something else. I knew how to run a small business. And did, and you, also, have, did you have the people underneath you that were pitching yes, for the next game? Absolutely. Yeah. And I was acutely aware of the fact that my successor was being very patiently sitting in the wings. And I was going, well, where do I go? Like, what do I do? I need to, to do something else. Um, so so that's what I did. And my successor, Suzanne Feeney, is, is, is fantastic and is, is doing a, a wonderful job of, of running the business now. Um, I remember Toby, my CEO, saying to me, you know, is there any kind of downside? Are people, you know, is there any fallout of you moving on? And I remember saying, there's none, Toby. And I said, I don't know how I feel about that. I said, I'd kind of like <laughs> somebody to pick up the phone and go, you know, we miss you, come back. Nobody has. So he said, he, he um, persuaded me that that was a good sign. So uh... I think so. I think so. <laughs> I think the ego inside of me would also want a call. I'd want a <laughs> yeah, banner. Exactly. I'd want tears. I'd want the whole thing. So <laughs> there's two things I want to do here. I want to, I want to explore the um the 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 role of of what you've gone into and, and and that shift but yeah that initial that initial plan you said i didn't want to make a handbook which is kind of i'm trying to think well what did you do then so like if people are listening they're probably going well what did you do so could you yeah. break it down and give us a more a bit yeah. more detail on what what changes did you make how was it rolled out what did you actually do uh, listen it's still a work in progress now um as i realized i think when two years ago i think when i got approached by indy who is our uh, global head of, of of hr chief people um she said to me you've got to make a decision you either are the md of ireland or there's this really big learning and development role and at the time i didn't really understand the potential within L&D and I thought to myself that's a bit of a strange move I said moving from an MD to what L&D 
And yeah. again, I think, you know, you think to yourself, what are people going to think? Does that look like I'm taking a back step? Does it look like I'm taking the easy route now? Um, and I, I went for it anyway, and I realized very quickly that it certainly isn't the easy route when you're no, looking no. at developing a, an L&D program on a, a global scale. I think we started, Sean, with EMEAA, so Europe, Middle East, Africa, Americas. And I really just went through the timeline. So my role now is, is focused on ensuring that every new starter in the business has everything that they need to succeed up until they reach kind of a, a senior management level. Then we've got a, a talent development team internally who work with kind of our senior leaders. So my role is very much learning and development. So we looked at, firstly, I think, um, what we had out there already. So when I said to you, we didn't have an L&D function, we didn't have a centralized function, but we had really, really good L&D people kind of dotted across the globe. Um, and we had some really good L&D collateral from people who you know, just felt passionate about L&D and wanted to train up their teams. So I think the first year for me was, was looking at what do we have internally and what is best practice? So if I'm a new starter in this business, how do I want you know to come in to Robert Walters what do I need to learn what is important what are the non-negotiables and then what are, what's the key messaging from our leadership teams that I want to try and get into this because it's not just about the skills it's about the behaviors what do we want a Robert Walters consultant to be like what's expected of them you know when we talk about teamwork what do we really mean um when we talk about quality of service Let's break that down and show people exactly what good looks like when it comes to the candidate experience, when it comes to the client experience, um, so that there is no kind of ambiguity with anybody as to what, what they should be doing within the role. And So that was where and, I started. So how, so how does that look? Is it they come in and it's a week? Like I remember when I joined Randstad, yeah. I, was sent to Sydney, I was sent to Sydney for a week and it was, yeah. it was incredible, to be honest. It was a full nine to five every day in the beautiful Pitt Street office. And you got people coming in who are top billers and all these different things and all these practices. And you did go back to Melbourne feeling like, you know, you, you had a good starting point. And then yeah. there was probably not much more training after that in the, in the 18 to 22, mm. 18 or two years I was there. What is it like? How do you actually deliver what you've just said? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, starting off, we looked at a um, a global kind of a corporate welcome. I didn't want to call it an induction. We called it a corporate welcome, where we've we've really got a very high level of this is our business, and um, these are the behaviours that we expect from people. This is the job. Here's some of your colleagues around the world who want to tell you what the job is. They want to welcome you. So we've got videos. We've got people talking about you know, what our, our mission is, you know, powering um, powering people's potential, what that means. We introduce our group functions um, and we just tell them a little bit about what life in Robert Walters is, covering a lot yeah. of kind of the ESG, the EDNI, all the, the initiatives that, that we're looking at at the moment, stuff that they wouldn't necessarily hear or read online. Um, so that's in their first week. We make that virtual so that on the call, I always feel like I'm like Graham Norton hosting the Eurovision or something because we've got people from all over the globe meeting each yeah. other. And I think it's really nice in your first week to be like, oh, you know, there's somebody from wherever it is, from, from Frankfurt, from London, from Milan, wherever. Um, and people get to know each other and they feel as if they're part of a, a big business. Then we've got a three-week recruitment skills induction. So that is 
really going into probably similar to the week that you had in Sydney. Yeah. We've got three days, three days, two days, where we look at the candidate cycle. So everything you need to know about candidates from sourcing them to managing expectations, to counter offers, to you name it, that whole candidate cycle um, to placing them in a job to, to follow up. The client cycle, where do you find your clients? What makes a good client? How do you talk to your clients? Overcoming objections, all that kind of stuff in week two. And then in week three is the job. So the actual mechanics of taking in a job, getting a brief and, and working your way through until you make a placement. So that we feel takes a huge amount of responsibility off our managers, because, yeah. you know, you'd remember, Sean, as a, as a manager taking on a new starter, it's it's pretty exhausting when you've got your own yeah, targets yeah. and you've got your team. It's like a, a new baby or a new puppy. You have to spend a lot of time with people. And, we and it's nice we can... when there's a central activity going on that you can say, right, I know they're going to be looked after for the next couple of days. Exactly. Is done... How is that delivered then? Do you have... Do you have intakes of people starting on the same day around the world? Do you deliver it? All I wish like, that would make it an awful lot easier. What we did was because we don't have a big L&D team, we last year spent a lot of time developing what we call the L&D ally community. Now, we've got hundreds of people within Robert Walters who have put their hands up to say, I like training. I would like to be a trainer. Here's my subject matter. I'm, I'm a, a, an expert in this area. So we have got a huge database of people internally who, as I said earlier, kind of pay it forward. And they are now our kind of trainer bank, um, which works really well because I think L&D are, are, are great to train. But people really want to hear from experts in the business who are out yeah, there yeah. doing the job um, and saying, you know, this happened to me yesterday, guys, watch out for this. So every month. And we will do it across different regions. We will have a new starter induction for that three weeks. And we will pull on expertise from people in the business. So it's not always L&D um, to deliver those training sessions. Is it all virtual with, now? Not all of it. Most of it is, um, which which I think works really well. Because, again, you're yeah. on a call. And maybe you're, you're in Dublin, London, Frankfurt, Madrid. And there's something really lovely about going recruitment is so universal, isn't it? You know, yeah, because yeah, you've got yeah, the yeah. same client problems all across the world and candidates behave in the same way. And it's really nice to to get that um, international feeling for no, the business and, from, from early on. And it's, it's, you know, obviously we've been working with you guys now. I think we just agreed our third year of working yeah. with the academy and we've got over well over 500 people that we're working with. And it's, it's been an amazing experience working because you are the biggest organization we work with. Okay. Um, and, and it's been a, it's been a pleasure watching how you do things. But it, if you think about my Academy, I think what works well is exactly that. So I'll have a guy on in Sydney in the morning yeah. and a guy in um, it's their afternoon. I've got a guy in the UK and a guy in Europe, a guy in Dubai, all at different times, but they're learning this personal branding piece and they're like, it's not just me. It's, it's an international need. Absolutely. And it's not just my five man team that need this. Actually, it kind of, it kind of reiterates my message that there's people all over the world buying. And if it was just them on their own in a classroom, they yeah. might feel like, well, wh why am I doing this? But it's like, actually the, the, the industry is doing this. I, I totally agree. And I do think like that level of like L and D just going back to L and D, so much of it is about upskilling and training people and giving them skills and knowledge. But I think a huge part of it is about getting people in a room, whether it be virtual or not, to meet their colleagues, to feel a sense of belonging, um, 
to be able to kind of give key messages to the group of people. So they, they can sit there and go, I'm, I'm working in a business, as you just said, where there's the same issues are, are everywhere. I like the fact that I'm talking to someone who's in London and that there's somebody from Dubai sitting there telling me about that market. Mm. And there's so much opportunity, I think, within L&D for global collaboration, which I love. And it's going back to, I suppose, that the recruiter inside of me, I love introducing people in the London office to Dubai and go, you know, you should speak to, there's somebody in Frankfurt who's doing that really well. And, and yeah. just connecting the dots there because it, you know, these, as we all know, fearners, recruiters, they're so busy day to day that sometimes they don't take the time to just lift their head up and go, how can I make this job easier? And for me, I think sitting here, it's really simple sometimes to go, I know how you can make this job easier. Talk to somebody in our Paris office who's already done this. Or, you know, there's somebody in, in Singapore who's doing this brilliantly. Why don't you just set up a call and speak to them? How does that come to you, though? I'm, that's what I'm trying to think, because you've got 4,000 people, right? That's your community. How yeah. does it get, how do these messages of challenge come to you? Have you built, an, uh, I guess, a process on a platform? Is it just managers We're, emailing? Like, how, how do you get that? Because that's what you it, need it, to know, the problems in, in real time. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think L&D is very much shown in its formative years within our business, Um in the sense that, you know, I mentioned to you, we didn't have a, a centralized L&D department, but we've got L&D professionals across the globe. So yeah. that is key to us at the moment because we're now coming together as a community and sharing knowledge and experience and, and collateral, which is brilliant. Um, I think a, a huge advantage of me going into this job is that I know and I've worked with and I've worked alongside the MDs in each business for the past 20 years. So yeah. I feel very comfortable picking up the phone going, hey, what's the market like? Where are your challenges? What's going on? I'm looking at, you know, Power BI or whatever data it is. And have you got an issue there? Do you need help? And I think, you know, possibly because of my background, people feel very comfortable talking to me about that, um, which has opened things up definitely. In terms of a, a platform, we have just, um, started to launch a um, an LMS, a learning management system called Cornerstone, which is, I think, going to change our lives in terms of um, learning on demand. The, the, the learner experience will now be so streamlined. People will have access to their learning history, um, external content. They can book themselves in for various different courses, etc. Up until now, we've been working off a variety of kind of Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, and Crazy. it's just getting too big. Yeah. 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 People, don't think, people don't think, you know, Robert Walters, you're going to be like that. But you uh, businesses are yeah. at all skies. They're all at different levels in, of development. Absolutely. In, uh, and I mean, look, for me, uh, an LMS is like a total priority and it's key. But before I was in learning and development, I was like, nah, we're fine. You know, so it's I think it really depends on what part of the business you're in. A message from our sponsor, Vincere, to announce their portal access. This is a quick win solution for agencies in need of a portal that their candidates and clients can use to access all the information they need through the job search. This is a no code solution. It's your one way ticket to attracting top candidates and getting clients to review everything in one place. So you can easily set up candidate and client and job portals within your Vincere account and you can configure it so it looks just like your recruitment agency brand and it feels like you've developed it yourself. 
In there, you can publish jobs, so they go straight out onto your website with one click. And you can offer candidates a place to look at those jobs and search for the next role. Your clients, you can give them a link and they get their own unique login. And so they can access everything. They can look at all the CVs against the job and all the progress and development 24-7. They can rate and review candidates and arrange interviews right there and then. This is all available now within Vincere. And if you're a RAG listener, you can always get an amazing deal with these guys. So click the link in the show notes and find out if you can use Vincere portals today. No, for sure. And I guess... So my my role within your business has been one of the mm. external, a bit like I'm like one of those guys, really. You have in those offices, aren't I? That's an expert exactly. in one thing. Subject matter expert, indeed. Yeah, and you, <laughs> and so how would you describe, look, for other people listening, especially the people in bigger organizations, mm. how would you describe the experience for the team of joining my bootcamp? Oh, it's been phenomenal. I mean, we've had people within our business, Sean, who've, who've gone through your course and they get so excited about it you know number one and they like for whatever you do whatever you say to them is they 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 preach your your gospel when they come back um it it has made a huge difference actually to our branding to the the branding of the consultants who've gone through your business you know it's so lovely to see them now put up posts on linkedin and uh, they come back and you know it obviously being quite competitive we get the I got 10,000 likes. Well, I got 15,000 views. I got 250,000, whatever it might be. And there's a real level of competition. And I think certainly your training has shown people that it's possible to be able to do that. Um, I remember when we first spoke and you kind of showed me your stats of how your LinkedIn profile um, can increase. And I, I probably was a bit skeptical, to be honest. I was like, mm, how does that work? Um, and then it started working for people internally. So it's 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 been brilliant. And I think you're a classic example of a piece of knowledge that we don't have in-house you know none of us have the knowledge that you do when it comes to something like that so it makes sense our ultimate aim would be to have as much as we can in-house with our in-house knowledge but we're always very aware that there are going to be some things like what you do that we don't have the skill skill set for so it was a no-brainer to to really speak to you and, and get people on your course and it has been, you, you mentioned it a minute ago, when you were an MD of a business, yeah. L&D platforms, all of it can be a bit like, oh, do I really need it? Yeah, and, what's and how much are we going to have to pay for that? Yeah. yeah, and that is the challenge, I think, when it comes to working with bigger organizations okay. is you can get one person on board, but then it's trying to get the filter that down into the management layers, isn't it? The people that own the budgets in those regions. And, you know, yeah. it's a challenge. But people, the way I look at it is, you wouldn't be a company of your size and scale without success. It's not like, well, I'm not coming in to say your business is failing or whatever mm. at your level. Some of the smaller ones at times, it's like you really need this because things are not moving in the direction you need. But when yeah. it comes to the scale of a Robert Wallers, I look at like, if you've already got such clear processes and training and organization, if you add this little layer on top where you're already spending an absolute fortune on LinkedIn, your team's already spending so much time on LinkedIn. And if they can just utilize that better, they increase their the awareness of themselves and the business. They increase traffic back to themselves. They open up more conversations. They make the outbound easier. They start to get more inbound. And they it's all yeah. about ramp to profit profitability. Like you said before, it's about ramp to profitability, shortening yeah. that gap. And when someone's already profitable, it's taken them to a level that, you know, I know, I know Oscar's moved on from, from Robert Wallace, mm. but he was someone who when I walked into your Dubai office, right? And yeah. I, I bear in mind, I don't see the faces of people. 
So yes. I know all the names and all the names, but I don't know the faces. So I walk into the Dubai office for the first time. I've been there twice now. And he's a big bloke. He's a big, big yeah, guy. Yeah. He, he, Oscar, gets up, yeah. he gets up and he goes, hey, big man. And he grabs me and hugs me. And I'm like, whoa. And he's, a, he's like a rugby player. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, his words were, I thought you were bullshit but you've changed my career. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, Brilliant. when I first got signed up to the, I thought personal branding, what a load of shite. I don't talk yeah. about any of this stuff. I don't need it. He said, the first call with you, I thought this guy's on some kind of drugs because he's so hyper. Um, and then he said, the second call, I was interested. Third call, I was in. And then now, you know, I know he's moved on and he's doing, he might be doing his own thing or whatever, but he became a top performer in the business. Yeah. He was already a good performer, became a better performer. I know he was invited on like the radio in Dubai and he became this like Mr. Abu Dhabi Finance. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's in, a, in, a, in a corporate business on a global scale, he was able to create his own brand that impacted and that's himself, huge. you, everyone. Yeah. You know, and when you look at, you know, we're, if I go back to kind of the, the training that I'm doing with consultants at the moment, um, it's about building relationships, isn't it? I mean, this whole business of recruitment, it's long term, it's relationships, you're playing a long game here. How do you differentiate yourself? from every other recruiter in the market. And you're right, somebody like, like Oscar or, or JB or you know David Williams in the UK, all these people who've actually, the, the three of them I think have, have run through your course are, are known on LinkedIn as subject matter experts for whatever field that they're in. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's totally transformed you know, how they interact on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, which is what it's all about. And, and yeah. I've, you know, I've loved it. I've loved the experience. What One thing I'd like to know, where's, what's next for you and Robert Walters? It sounds like, you know, you've been there for 20 or 20 years almost. You've, you've yeah. been an MD, you know, you're mm. quite early in this global yeah. MD role. So, what, so what's your vision now? Oh. What are you trying to achieve for the future? Well, I mean, the, the, the business, as I said, the strategy of the business has been and will continue to be geographic expansion, discipline diversification. So, you know, the, there's always that growth trajectory, I think, with, within Robert Walters when the time is right. Um, for me in L&D, I feel like we are almost just getting to the start of it now because there was so much work in the past two years done with uncovering what have we got, where do we want it to be, what are our key messages, how do we want this experience to look? Now, I think we're entering a phase, we're getting a, an LMS, which is launching towards the end of the year, which, as I said, will transform the way Call people learn. Enjoy, yeah, yeah it'll, make, it'll make everything, I think, on demand um, and, and just so much easier for people. I think that we are really going to, without sounding too evangelical, A, upskill people. And may, I want to make sure that within kind of 12 to 18 months, the onboarding experience for all new starters across the globe is similar. Now, when I say similar, I'm, I'm not going to say the same because, you know, what people need in Japan in their first month is different to what people need in, in you know, Frankfurt, for example. Um, but I want to make sure that the key messages are there and that people are upskilling, ramp up to profitability. As a result, I think people will stay in this job longer. You know, I think if we're more honest and open from the very beginning as to what this job is, what's needed, what are the skills you need to develop? Let's let's make sure that the people who we're hiring and spending all this money on getting into the business actually stay and become successful. I know, Sean, I don't know if you ever felt this way. I hated it when people left our business. And in the back of my head, I was going, I don't think I gave them everything I could have to make them successful. Yeah. I would it would really keep me awake at night. I was going, that's not that's not good because, you know, if someone's going to leave, fine. But let's make sure that they have 
everything, you know, possible to make sure that they're okay. So that's number one, onboarding experience. Then I want to make sure that the key messaging, and again, we're kind of, you know, going through different phases now. We've obviously got Toby as our, our global CEO. I want to make sure that his key messaging is distilled down and that the I want to get the internal comms really right so that, you know, if there are key messages from the group and from the senior leadership team, it's it's being distilled into every area through L&D, um, the things that we need to focus on. And I want to be able to pivot quarter on quarter, you know, because that's so important. Again, going back to that idea of a handbook, you know, those things written in 1986, they just become obsolete and they're so boring. I see L&D as being like some a, an area that can deliver key messages and train people and upskill people for you know a potential downturn in six months time or a potential upturn in six months time i want us to be agile and kind of in the front of the business yeah um and i think i think you coming from an md background as well gives you a different view than say someone who's just been in L D. yeah you can i think feel, so. you've, you've you've been in those you know you've been part of the, yeah. of, of, the, of the leadership team you know what it's like running a and you can see those trends before they even happen. You know, you can see see slowdowns and you can go, right, we need to make sure that all those people that we hired post-COVID who came in last year and just filled jobs, filled so many jobs, how are they going to react now when the market has taken a little bit of a slowdown? Well, that's, that was my next question. What, how have you, what is the global viewpoint mm. from a recruitment perspective at Rob Walters? Is the we know the UK is taking a hit. We know the US is taking. Well, what's it? Is there, is there any regions that are, are worse off? And and what have you seen from a bird's eye view? Look, from a bird's eye view, I think it's it's all relatively. Look, there has been a slowdown, definitely. And I think that you know you've got at the moment the trends that we're seeing when we talk to people are that candidates are maybe staying put. They're getting very difficult to find. You know what what used to work in the past. Um, popping up a, a, a job ad somewhere is is becoming increasingly tricky. Sometimes you get no response whatsoever in certain areas. So you really have to go beyond and above to try and find people. Um, yes, there has been a slowdown, but everybody who I talk to, Sean, in every different region is saying, yeah, it's slower than it was last year, but it feels like, you know, there's still a lot of jobs out there. There's still a lot of active vacancies. And what we're our focus on is now is making sure that our recruitment recruitment population have got the skill set because it's going back to that last year job fillers this year you need to actually pick up the phone you need to business develop um you know and it's going back to absolute basics with our recruiters and ensuring that our productivity is as high as it possibly can be and that doesn't mean working harder it's it's looking at things like um you know we ran a webinar yesterday about how to business develop without ever have to having to co-call you know and it's about doing things like the candidate interview getting the proper leads following up on them when you're reviewing candidates as a team getting that market information looking after your fodge list looking you know going back to the days when referrals you know, we're a huge percentage of your candidate population. And I think in the past couple of years, people have gotten, well, lazy, but people have relied on other sources, LinkedIn being one or your job boards to generate your candidates. But there's huge power in that, maybe call me a bit old school, but that 
you know, referral network of oh, having the confidence to, to pick up the phone and, and say, who do you know? You know, tell your friends about me, whatever it might be. Um, so we're really focusing at the moment on, yes, there is a slowdown. It will pass like they all do. Um, our focus at the moment is, is just ensuring that the people that we've got have got the skills that they need and are really aware of what they need to do in order to get through this market. And how are those, and how is that population within the last, you know, and everyone's talking about it, that naught to two year recruiter that came into yeah. this ridiculous market. How are they feeling from your understanding? How are, how are they responding? And what's the kind of messages you're, you're receiving? Yeah, I think that there, there is a mix. I think that there is um, a lot of wide-eyed fear from some people who are just sitting there going, okay, but I was really successful last year. And we're saying to them, but that's not recruitment. Recruitment isn't sitting there taking incoming calls on live vacancies and picking up the phone and phoning candidates and making placements. Like, let's really go back to that 360 recruiter that we spoke about. And this is where I believe that, that you know, L&D really come in. When people come in in those first three weeks, it's talking to them about the job, going, this is how the market is at the moment. You will be candidate short or you will be job short. These are the skill sets that you need. But if you want to be a 360 recruiter and last in this business for a long time, you know, and not just have a, a two year, oh, I had a great time and then I got out and went somewhere else. Um, but if you really love this business and it, you know, believe that it is about building long-term relationships, you're going to have to get good at both sides of the of the coin yeah. and, and up that skill set in this area. And now it's not for everybody. Some people, you know, are saying to, to us, I, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. It's not me. And if it's not them, that that's fine. But I think, you know, decisions then need to be made in all businesses. If you've hired a load of people who enjoy filling jobs, but don't necessarily want to get on the phone and, and create any new opportunities, then there's a, a problem area there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, when it my final question and what I really wanted to get from this episode was that, how would you describe the culture? Like, you know, corporate recruitment, enterprise organizations, Robert Walters, Michael Page, Hayes, Randstad. I started my career at Randstad, um, a deco. You know, there, there's definitely a perception out there. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it, that they're slow, they're, you know, they don't pay well. Red tape. Yeah. Red tape, bureaucracy, and, and all the smaller innovative places will always sell against it. You don't want to go work there, but the hell, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be dead in, if you, in the future yeah. if you stay in that company. How would you describe that? Because when I whenever I actually meet your team in Dubai and things, I'm I'm actually thinking they're they're really cool guys. Like they're really yeah. innovative, like they're fast moving. You know, well, how would you describe the business and the culture and what you're trying you to do? You know, it's it's funny, Sean. If and it goes back to if somebody had said to me, You'll be at any business for 20 years, I'd be like, not a chance, no way, yeah. no, not me. That's not my type type of thing. Like I see Robert, I joined Robert Walters because of the people. And I probably, when I was in London at the time, um, I probably had that impression of Robert Walters. I was like, well, it's very pinstripe suit. It's a bit, you know, kind of, corporate. it's a bit too smooth and too glossy and too corporate for me. Um, I joined because of the people that I met. There are huge characters in our business. Um, it is a wildly, and I think people would be really surprised to hear, it's so entrepreneurial um, in the sense that, and I can speak from personal experience, I joined the Dublin business and Honestly, any idea that I had, I was told, go for it, give it a shot, we'll support you. If it works, great. If it doesn't, you know, you're fine, don't worry about it. Um, and I never had that in my career. And I don't think many people have that in their careers. But 
it was incredible um, to have that kind of big company PLC support behind you. And I don't mean like endless pockets because that's not what it's about either. Like, believe me, Robert Walters are really smart when it comes to managing their cost base. But there was a, there's a, a really entrepreneurial feel to this business. And I think there still is to this day. Like if you come in, whether you're a consultant or a manager, it's very much you run this like it's your own business, but within a wider kind of company group. There are certain non-negotiables, um, as there has to be, in terms of what kind of behaviours we expect from people, um, the value that we place on teamwork and sharing information, sharing candidates and colleagues, uh, our non-discretionary or our, 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 our discretionary bonus scheme, which works for some, doesn't work for everybody. Um, but it's a profit share model, which is very much based on the premise of a job well done. Um, mm -hmm. Our competitors will will always sell that, you know, against us in, in that sense, because it's not a clear cut commission scheme. Um, I've worked in it for 20 years, so I'd be a bit of a fool to sit here and say it doesn't work. It has worked for me. I see the value and the merit in it. And I think that it is really refreshing to be able to say to you know, our candidates and clients that we don't get a cut of commission by placing the wrong person in the wrong job. Um, we get a, a profit share model whereby the more successful we are as a business by thinking long-term and building long-term relationships, um, the more profit gets redistributed back into the business. I like that, it works for me. Uh, as I said, doesn't work for everyone. But in terms of, of the culture of the business now, um, obviously, we've got a new CEO, Toby. Um, there is an exciting future, I think, ahead for Robert Walters. Um, we are, I would still describe us not as a particularly corporate business. I'm not a particularly corporate person. Um, I don't kind of buy into that whole um, greasy pole, working your way up through a corporate ladder. And I think most people in the business don't. Like, as you said, you went to Dubai and you were like, there's a really cool group of people over there. Um, pretty much all of the offices that I walk into, there is a Robert Walters feel. Now, as in the How office. How do you describe kind of, that? Um, I would say, God, what would I, I wouldn't say it's that that young. <laughs> um, certainly not after 20 years of me being here. I would I'd probably be, you know, at the, at the older, older end of it. But I would say that it is really friendly, really open, very social. Um, in recent years, I think if you if you want to have that social life, great. If you don't, that's okay too. Um, you know, I think you know, long gone are the days in any recruitment business of you have to go out on the Friday night and sit in the pub yeah, till two yeah, in the morning. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's gone. But I think it's I think it's really creative and entrepreneurial um, <laughs> and exciting. I don't listen to many people come into this business and give out about the culture. Like we've just run an engagement survey globally. Um, through a, a platform called Glint. And when we look at one of our, our top strengths, it's how people define the culture internally. They love it. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people will, will talk about the culture in Robert Walters. People outside of it will always question it, but, but nobody leaves our business because of the culture. I love that. What about the final, yeah. final thing that's running through my mind is... Hmm this kind of back to the office piece. I mean, everyone, we've, we've talked about remote working to death over the pandemic, but the reality yeah. is it is shifting. And, and there's a lot of companies now wanting their people in more and more. And like you're mm. obviously working remote, remotely today. Yeah. How, have you guys, how are you guys approaching that? 
I think uh, our kind of work from home or our agile policies differ from office to office. I do think that there is in recent months more of a surge of people coming back into the office. I think that uh, from speaking to a lot of managers, there's a lot of challenges, particularly with that generation of or that cohort of people that have been hired post-COVID. Um, they need to be in an office. They need to be listening to people. I learned in recruitment from listening to good people in the office going, that sounds really good. I'll take that on board. Um, so I think there is a, a pull back to the office. Um, it's probably more successful in some areas than others. And I think it's all about finding that balance, isn't it? I think that if you look at the way, again, I'm, I'm not saying this happened at Robert Walters, but from my industry viewpoint, the pandemic was an interesting time because obviously we were forced to work from home. And then yeah. obviously, obviously furlough was used and some redundancies were made and people trimmed down to their best people. Yeah. And and what they saw was actually my best people who are probably in their late twenties or early thirties. In again, I'm generalizing, but they're they've they've got at least a few years' experience in the industry. Yes, they know what they're doing. They're quite yeah, and but they're the type of people that thrived at home, delivered at home. Yeah, they then surprised they then surprised the 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 leadership who went fucking hell. We, we can actually do this. Yeah. Then they then there was all these businesses going. All right, well we're going to do completely do whatever you want. But then as the market picked up, we then hired a lot of young people who were, I say young, young in the industry, regardless of age, who, because the market's booming, whether they're at home or not, were performing because all they were doing was filling jobs. Correct. And now the market's got tough. The biggest problem is, it's getting the people back when you've got the same community that performed mm. really well at home at the start of the pandemic. They're the ones I'm worried about because do they want to come back? They're the people that are going to, I think, launch their own companies and do their own things because they they might be so used now to working from home, from home. four days a week. And and the company needs them back because it needs them for this younger generation. Absolutely. And if they quality, get rid they, of that yeah. layer of knowledge, they're in trouble. Like, so, yeah. like that is a real world problem in our industry. Yeah, it is. And it's it's everywhere at the moment. And you see, you see those people who have you know hit their targets made their money by working from home going i don't really want to come into the office four days a week now um no. you you definitely have that but then you have the younger generation and they need those people they need those it's really about i think you know and i'm talking to a lot of managers about this at the moment sean and how they deliver that communication because you can't just walk into an office and say right everyone back five days you really need to it's about winning hearts and minds and saying to people um like we we need you and these are the reasons why this is what's happening and your expertise is needed for for this and coming to some kind of a, an agreement where you know you can give as much flexibility as you can but i really need you in the office to be able to do this for my people because that's what the business needs right now yeah, yeah. but yeah it's tough it's, it's tough it's a real totally challenge that. at the moment totally i uh in some ways i'm just so happy that i stayed with the remote I, we literally went remote and we said, that's it. We're not going yeah. in and out because I, I knew at some point it would get difficult. And I thought we literally signed the office off, get rid of it. Brilliant. Everyone went remote. We went international and now it's not affecting us. I mean, there's a lot of other things affecting us, but that, that's yeah. not one of them. Um, yeah. Louise, we are out of time. An hour and 10 minutes. We've My gone. God, I, I thought I'd struggle, Sean. That was quick. I know. Well, you, <laughs> you haven't. Um, can I just say thanks so much? It's been so refreshing. I mean, like I said, you're not just some L and D person. You're a, you're a recruiter, a managing director, an industry leader who's then gone into. You're now looking at the this four thousand growing organization and and taking all the experience and trying to make it 
it better. And I think there's so much people can learn from this episode. So many people oh, listening, running firms who are not who don't have an LD person or don't have an LD function and and will be taking little nuggets and thinking about it. So, you know, if anyone does want to reach out to you, by the way, and just pick Absolutely, your brain. Absolutely, please do. Is that okay? Yeah. Of course, yeah, of course, I'll, be delighted. I'll tag you. I'll tag you in on a, your LinkedIn profile and everything, and and people can yeah. reach out. And and we'll we'll definitely get yourself on. I want to get Robert on at some point. You got to help me with that. We've got to get Rob on. We've got to get the good luck. I want to get the true. I want to get the true story. <laughs> I know a lot of people say that, but I think I, I'm going to be able to do it somehow. I'm confident I'll do it. No better man. <laughs> Take care. Thanks so much, Louis. Sure, thank you. So- Thank you as always for listening to today's show. I truly hope that you got value from it. Honestly, it's the only reason I take time every week to ensure that my audience, you guys, future and existing recruitment owners, you're learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. And today's episode is brought to you by my business, Hoxo. I'm the CEO and founder, and we're on a mission to help brand recruitment agencies and their people better. I want to help people have the tools to stand out in the most competitive markets in the world. We're currently working with over 350 recruitment agencies and 5,000 of their consultants right now, helping them to build their personal brands to consistently win more business, attract talent, and just become that go-to recruiter in the market. Now, we do have a huge coaching program, but a lot of people don't know, we also manage the brands of a lot of founders and we can do the rebrand of that company organizational piece as well. So if your recruitment agency either needs help to look and sound exactly how you want it to, or your leadership and consultant level need to get out there and drive more traffic back to that website, to the business and start using LinkedIn to generate more revenue, then you should definitely be reaching out to us. If that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean, a personal message on LinkedIn. I love hearing from RAG listeners. I would love to talk to you. Uh, Look forward to it. So I'll see you again next week with another episode. Catch you soon.